Welcome, and thanks for checking out the Living Word Family Church Sermon Podcast. Before we get to the message, we'd like to invite you to check out Living Word Family Church if you don't already have a church home. For more information, you can check out our website at livingwordfamily.org. All right, we're in Philippians. Paul is writing this letter to the church in Philippi from prison in Rome. This is a church that he is intimately connected with. He loves these people. They love him. There's a real connection, a divine connection. And he's encouraging them uh, in many ways, encouraging them to stay the course. He knows that they're concerned for him because he's in prison. And he's, trying, uh, he's doing his best to allay their concerns and fears. Saying, man, I'm right where God wants me. It doesn't matter what happens to me, even if I die. What's the, what's the worst that happens? I get to be with Jesus. That's so attractive to me. I'm not sure what I want more, to be released and see you again or to go and be with Christ. So he tells them to be obedient to Christ, to be humble-minded as Christ himself was, even to the point of death on a cross, and says that uh, uh, because of Christ's obedience and because of that extreme submission, th- that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord did uh, a little bit more of a, a different angle on that Wednesday night. If you weren't here Wednesday, might want to check that out. Uh, Matt is getting caught up, I think, on the message downloads, so that should be available soon. Check that out. But we took that a different direction Wednesday and kind of focused it on evangelism. And then talks about working out your salvation. Since Christ has done this and you let this mind also be in you, therefore, Work out your salvation in fear and trembling. Be lights in the world around you. And we talked last week about how that doesn't mean you work for your salvation. It means that the salvation that is in you, this great power of God that has saved you, you, that you should allow that to be worked out in obedience and in ways that manifest your salvation to the world around you. And interestingly, the two big examples he gives are do things without grumbling and without complaining. Uh, we know that there's other things we, we can do as well, right? Miracles, signs, and wonders. Paul's like, you know, if you just go so far as to do everything you do for God, for your job, everything, without murmuring and complaining, the world's going to notice. You're going you're to be lights in the darkness. Now, we come to, uh, let's, let's read the last, where we left off last week. We'll read verses 17 and 18 from chapter 2. And he says, yes, and if I'm being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith... I am glad and rejoice with you all. For the same reason, you also be glad and rejoice with me. But I trust in the Lord. We'll pick it up in 19 now. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state, for all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. But you know his proven character. That as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. Therefore, I hope to send him at once, as soon as I see how it goes with me. But I trust in the Lord that I myself shall also come shortly. There's some encouragement here, right there at the end, in fact, when he uh, tells them that he expects to be released or indicates that. And also says that when he's released, he wants to come see them. I think this might be connected to what he said earlier. He he was speaking very casually about the issue of life and death. To live as Christ, to die as gain, to be absent from the body, be present with the Lord. I'm I'm hard. I'm a straight betwixt two. I don't know what to decide whether to depart and be with Jesus, which is far better. Uh, But now he's saying, look, it really is my desire to see you again. Okay, he's not being, I'm not suicidal here. Okay, I really expect to be released and I want to come see you. And talks about sending Timothy 
And uh, he, he had mentioned, uh, mentioned something about this earlier, but this, this idea that uh, these men who were ministers were kind of pointing at Paul's imprisonment as sort of a way to elevate themselves. See, Paul's just a loud mouth. He's a rabble-rouser. He wound up in prison because he's not doing it right. And Paul is accusing some of these others. While, while earlier on he said, hey, you know, at the, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter because Jesus Christ is being preached. Even if their motives are wrong, they're at least getting the message out there. But, but he's saying in terms of his care, Paul's apostolic and pastoral care for the, for the Christians in Philippi, he's saying that nobody has, has the same heart that I have for you. There are people out there, and yeah, they're preaching the gospel, but they're doing it again selfishly. Self-centered, they're trying to promote their own ministry. They don't care about you. There's nobody, none of these people, even some of the people he had been traveling with, the only one he trusted to truly convey his message and his concern and care was Timothy, this young minister, which we'll, of course, we've learned a little bit about already, and then we'll, we'll read a couple of letters a little later on that Paul wrote to Timothy, a young man who Paul was entrusting with a great deal of oversight of the churches. And uh, then says in verse 25, I'm kind of racing through the Timothy and Epaphroditus stuff because there's some other stuff I really do want to get to. And I, uh, yeah, main thing is get through this and get to the picnic, right? He says uh, in verse 25, yet I considered it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, but your messenger, your messenger, and the one who ministered to my need, since he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed he was sick, almost unto death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I sent him the more eagerly, that when you see him again, you may rejoice, and I may be less sorrowful. Receive him therefore in the in the Lord with all gladness and hold such men in esteem because for the work of Christ he came close to death not regarding his life to supply what was lacking in your service toward me now Paphroditus was a Philippian he was a believer from Philippi he's part of this church and he only shows up in this passage the Philippians had apparently sent him with messages and with gifts uh, but, you know, he could only carry so much, so the gift was probably a financial gift. They took up an offering, and they sent Epaphroditus with it to Rome to gift Paul and minister to him. But Paul uh, didn't need necessarily money in prison. We described this before, but the prison, it's sometimes we picture, you know, hey, this is 2,000 years ago. He's in a dungeon. He's in chains. He wasn't. He was in a, what you'd call a prison house, house arrest. He, was, he didn't have the freedom to move around the city, but he could have visitors. He was awaiting trial, uh, but he wasn't in, uh, necessarily in chains and being tortured. But he was in prison. Uh, but if he was going to get any errands done, any business taken care of, he could write, but he had to have writing material. He's, he, we see him asking uh, uh, in, in other letters for, for scrolls. He needed books. Uh, and so... All the things, all, and who knows, clothes, shoes, any number of things that Epaphroditus, rather than pack it, he brought the money and then conducted business on Paul's behalf there in Rome. And 
So when, first thing I want you to see is when he says, hey, he, he worked himself nearly to death. This is what he's talking about. He, he, it was, this was an exhaustion. This was a sickness brought on by exhaustion, working too hard. And uh, so when he says he did this, he came near to death, working on Christ's behalf to fill up what was lacking in your service toward me. This is not meant in any way as a rebuke to the Philippians. If you're not careful, you can read this. You know, if only you had sent more, poor Epaphroditus wouldn't have had to go out there and work so hard to make up what you didn't send. No, 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 it wasn't that. It's just that the money could only do so much. He could bring the money, but then Epaphroditus had to go out and conduct all this other business and physically be there and minister to Paul's needs. You know, you sending it is great, but there's some things you have to be here. Uh, uh, one kind of example of this, uh, speaking of Neil and Danette, we, uh, as I mentioned a number of years ago, over, from over in Farmer City, we sent a team, we, I accompanied a team, uh, to Niger. And uh, we went over there to do some, oh, we did some skits, we did some VBS stuff, we distributed literature and got, got to preach through translators a few times. Uh, great, great time. Great times of ministry. Great time for them. Great time for us. But one of the, when they sent us the instructions for travel, uh, they, were, they were very, very clear. Look, your bags can weigh this much. And you can, everybody can bring a second bag that can weigh this much. We encourage you to pack light. You don't need to bring that much. But, but do take advantage of the fact that your ticket price enables you to bring this much more weight and fill it up with these things for us. And it was stuff that, uh, that they simply had a hard time getting, either getting the, the thing at all or getting the brand or the quality that they could find here in the United States. And tough for them to carry it back in any measurable quantity when, they're, when they go back once a year from the United States. So, you know, so they gave us a list. So we all went over there with another suitcase full of things like peanut butter, pepperoni, crystal light, shampoo, toothpaste, laundry soap, pre-cooked bacon, canned jalapenos, hot sauce, diapers, tennis balls, body lotion, and paper towels. You know, now we sent them, as a number of people do, uh, uh, money. We, we supported them generously. We gave them a generous offering. But you send them all the money in the world. But there's some things they can't get over there. So it was nice to be able to send a team to fill up what was lacking in our offering, even if the offering was gen, uh, generous. So uh, now let's come on to chapter 3 here. Oh, oh no, I know the other big thing. My goodness, how could I skip this? When it says Epaphroditus... Uh, here's Epaphroditus. He's, he's working hard for Paul. Paul appreciates his presence, but he said, I'm eager to send him back to you because I know you were concerned. This is your guy. He said, my fellow soldier, my fellow laborer, uh, he's been a great ministry to me, but I know that you desire to see him because you heard how sick he was. So I'm eager for you to see how well he is now. Yeah, he almost died. But God had mercy on him and also on me. I, I wanted to point this out because we're a faith church. And I don't want you to build a doctrine on this one statement Paul made about how he had mercy on him. Because if you, just, if you try to get your whole healing doctrine from this, it's like, well, thank God he chose to heal Epaphroditus in this situation. He might not have, and he might not next time, 
but he did. God, in this case, happened to have mercy on Epaphroditus, and that translated to mercy for me and for you because we all love him. We know you got to take, you can't build a whole doctrine on one passage. Paul is talking simply about his response. I love this guy. He's valuable to me. You love him. I know you desire to see him again. And this is part of God's broader mercy. We believe that healing is a promise, don't we? Uh, it's not a matter, oh God, if you, would you please, please in your, in, your, in your great mercy, have mercy on me. And if you choose not to, then please help me to continue to love you and believe you. That's not, that's not a faith prayer. Faith takes the promises of God and the instructions. You know, this, the, again, this isn't a doctrinal statement. This is an emotional, this is a personal statement. You want a doctrinal statement, look at James. Is any among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and they'll anoint him with oil. And the prayer of faith will save the sick. Look at what Jesus himself said. Lay hands on the sick and they will recover. There's the faith element, all right? So don't, don't build your whole doctrine of healing on this one statement about God having mercy. But let's not forget that ultimately all of God's goodness toward us is an outflow of his mercy to us. Amen? All right. So then uh, in chapter 3, he says this, Finally, my brethren, looks like he's closing, doesn't it? But we know there's still two whole chapters left. Finally, brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For to me, for me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. It really looks like in this case, he really was beginning to close this letter. And then there was a development. Maybe he had written, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. And, had not, and then had not closed it out yet. And then here comes a development there in Rome that reminds him or causes him to believe it's urgent now that I add some other instructions. And guess what? It's some of the usual suspects, the Judaizers, because he goes on to say, beware of dogs. <laughs> and you see those uh, signs in people's yards, you didn't realize those really were posting scripture, right? <laughs> beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation. What is he talking about? He's talking about circumcision. But he doesn't call it circumcision. He calls it mutilation. He's saying these, and dogs, by the way, that was a uh, disparaging uh, word that the Jews used to describe Gentiles. They're dogs. And Paul's saying, you beware of these vicious dogs. All right? Beware of, the, of evildoers. Beware of the mutilation. What's he talking about? These guys are going to come in here and they're going to start singing the praises of circumcision. They're going to start talking about how if you want to be really good, if you want to be really pure, if you want to be like us, the Jews, then no matter what you believe about Christ, which we believe too, you still have to be circumcised. And Paul goes on to say, we are the true circumcision here, not them. Their faith, if their faith is in their Jewishness, and their good works, and their uh, heritage, their, uh, their heritage as Jews, then the circumcision that they have undergone is nothing more than a mutilation of the flesh. Because it's not reflective of true spiritual belief. The things that are important. Paul then says, We are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no, conf no confidence in the flesh. Though I, might also, though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he, he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. 
circumcised on the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. So he's saying, here these guys come. They're going to start telling you how righteous they are. But I'm telling you, the only true spiritual circumcision is those of us who put no confidence in the flesh. These guys are going to come in there with their uh, bona fides, with their credentials. Let me tell you, if I were going to take that route, I could outdo them all. I was more Jewish and I was a better Jew than any of these Judaizers could ever claim to be. So he gives them the details. But, verse 7, what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ, Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Don't focus on that last sentence yet. We're going to deal with it, I promise. Don't start rolling it around in your head. I want to come back to what he's saying here. After, because this is super important. He's talking about, and again, the Jews he's talking about are not Jews who are battling Christianity. They're not saying, turn away from this false idea, this false Messiah, Jesus, and come back to Judaism. They're simply saying, you can't skip Judaism and then get to Jesus. We believe in Jesus too, but you have to understand you got to be a Jew first because Christ is for the Jews. And Paul's like, no, he's not. Christ died for the world. And he'll make a case, and has, that, 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 that the Jews still have a special place in God's plan, but has nothing to do with the salvation. That, that, that true spiritual salvation uh, is, the, is the only manner of circumcision that means anything, not the, not the ones in the flesh. And then again, talks about these guys are going to put a lot of stock in their Jewishness, I'm more Jewish than that, was more Jewish than that. I was better at it than any of them were, and here's what it amounts to me now. After he lists all of his accomplished, his bona fides, you know what I consider it to, to, be, consider it to be now? Rubbish. Some translations say dung. That's what it counts measured against what Christ has done. There's a great quote from Malcolm Muggeridge. I've shared it before, I think. And, and he was near the end of his life. You can, if you don't know anything about Muggeridge, you can look him up. He was a journalist and a humorist and uh, kind of uh, an acerbic guy who came to Christ later in life. But he said this toward the end of his life. He said, I may, I suppose, regard myself or pass for being a relatively successful man. People occasionally stare at me in the streets. That's fame. I can fairly easily earn enough to qualify for admission to the higher slopes of the internal revenue. That's success. Furnished with money and a little fame, even the elderly, if they care to, may partake of trendy diversions. That's pleasure. It might happen once in a while that something I said or wrote was sufficiently heated for me to persuade myself that it represented a serious impact on our time. That's fulfillment. Yet I say to you, and I beg you to believe me, multiply the t- these fine, sorry, these tiny triumphs by a million. 
Add them all together, and they are nothing, less than nothing, a positive impediment measured against one draft of that living water Christ offers to the spiritually thirsty, irrespective of who or what they are. And he, when he says then that he counts all these things as nothing, as loss, he's not looking back on these things at all. I will trade it all for the experience of knowing Christ, the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to his death. Again in verse 11, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press on, I, sorry, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now that's a tough passage because it sure looks like, on a quick read through, that what he's saying is, I don't know if I'm going to heaven. I'm just trying as hard as I can. If by any chance I can attain the resurrection of the dead, by any means, I'm going to lay aside my Jewishness, I'm going to lay all these other things, count them as lost, and I'll invest anything, give anything, do anything, go to any length, I'll, I'll work as hard as I have to, just for the opportunity to possibly attain the resurrection from the dead. And then he stresses, I don't consider myself to have attained it yet, but I press on. Well, wait a second. Where's the grace message in that? Where's the born-again message in that? Where's the complete work of Jesus Christ in that? He's not talking about his salvation. He's not talking about going to heaven. He's talking about his complete wholeness. He's talking about, have I achieved sinless perfection? And he acknowledges that he hasn't. I don't know how many of you uh, ever paid attention or maybe were involved in or remember there's a group. And I want to be careful here because there were many different strands of it. And some were further off base than others. But the, the sort of the overarching uh, uh, label for this group was the Manifest Sons of God. Anybody remember them? Manifest Sons of God? That, and again, maybe it's like, well, yeah, I was part of that. I don't remember it was bad. Maybe you were in one of those strands that wasn't bad. But the essential problem with the Manifest Sons of God movement is that they taught, uh, and we're talking somewhere, this is something that started in the 1940s, moving up through the charismatic renewal of the 70s, and there are still strands active today, that basically teach that you can and should reach a state of sinless perfection here and now. And that that is the true resurrection, that somebody who achieves that state will not experience death. That once you, once you uh, achieve perfection, sinless perfection, total Christ-likeness, that basically you are a, a second um, uh, incarnation. Not that you become the Messiah, but that Christ is fully formed in you. That you are no longer subject to death. You are immortal. Your immortality starts now. We believe that our spirits are immortal, but that we, barring the rapture or the, or the return of Christ, will pass through the death of this body before we step into immortality. You understand that's biblical to, truth, right? It's not pleasant. None of us looks forward to that, except for the joy that's set before us on the other side of it, right? But the, this, this idea that I can achieve 
sinless perfection in this body, this side of eternity, is not biblical. What Paul is saying in this passage, pay attention to this, is not, first of all, he's clearly not saying, I'm trying to be saved. I'm just going to work as hard as I can so that when I die, I hope I go to heaven. Clearly not saying that. It flies in the face of everything else Paul's written. He's also not saying, though, I guess what he is saying is counter to this idea that, well, since none of us are going to achieve sinless perfection this side of eternity, just go ahead and sin. It's all paid for. Don't knock yourself out trying to be holy because your holiness doesn't earn anything anyway. He's saying that's not the way to look at it. He's saying because Jesus Christ has given everything to purchase my salvation, I'm going to give everything to him in order to walk as perfectly as I possibly can in that salvation because I owe him everything. And I know that as I continue to strive, and there are things that are going to come against me, my own flesh is going to come against me, but I am going to continue to move upward. The things that are behind me, I count them as loss. He's already listed the things that seemed valuable to him at one time. They were his whole life, his Jewishness, his his membership in the Pharisees, a zealot, It was his passion for God that that led him uh, erroneously to pursue and persecute the church till God himself stepped in and straightened him out. He wasn't trying to do something evil. They said all those accomplishments, they count for nothing right now. In fact, all these other things, all the bad stuff that has happened to me since becoming a Christian, it's nothing. None of it is worth being compared to what happens as I draw closer to Christ and that he becomes more and more formed in me. And this is saying, yeah, I'm the Apostle Paul. I'm your pastor. I'm your teacher. I'm your spiritual father. But I haven't attained it yet. I'm not so full of myself that I believe that I am perfected in Christ. Not not fully, manifestly formed in his image. Thank God for his grace that allows him to see me in Christ. And that's what's so important about that phrase, those two little words, in him. We remember that even though maybe you did something this morning that reminded you or somebody in your family that Christ is not fully formed in you yet. Yet you are in Christ, and so God still sees us that way. It allows God to see us as perfect, as righteous, so that he can bless us, so that he can fulfill his promises to the righteous, but that righteousness is only available in Christ. If it were available to us any other way, Christ need not have died. And we will wrap it up today with, uh, beginning here in verse 15. Therefore... Let us, as many as are mature, have this in mind. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. Not to beat this thing to death, because you've heard me say this before. We are not going to be rewarded in eternity for having the right beliefs. Right beliefs are important because right beliefs are the only way that we, that, that are the only beliefs that are going to produce the right actions. But I know plenty of people who have right beliefs but are doing nothing with those beliefs. 
you are not going to get 10 extra cities when you go to heaven because you believe in tongues. You are not going to get 10 extra cities because you received your healing for you or your family. If we believe these things, Paul's saying to the degree that we have attained, the things we've learned, the things we've received, the things we recognize that God himself has put in us, let us by all means walk in those things because that's what matters. And it ain't about what's it matter for us. Well, Paul walked in these things and look what happened to him. Yeah, but look at the people he impacted. Look at the people who are going to heaven today because of everything that Paul endured. Paul, God does promise us blessings in this life. Jesus himself promised us blessings in this life. He also promises us persecution. The main thing is the mission. The main thing is other people. And other people are not going to be drawn to Christ unless we are walking. It's not just what we believe. It's what we walk out. Our lifestyle. What the Bible uh, calls our conversation. Thanks for listening. We hope that this message encouraged and equipped you in your walk with Christ. Make sure to follow us on Facebook or Instagram to stay updated with what's going on at Living Word Family Church. Have a great day.